Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 923 FM, and the KTAR News app. Just gonna let you dance a little bit in your car for a minute. In your chair, wherever you're sitting. Um I appreciate you being here. Uh, there is so much to talk about still. We had a, a great conversation with Juan Siscomani. He's a congressman from southern Arizona and a very, very interesting guy. Um, I've, I've met him on a couple of occasions, but I heard him speak recently within the last few months at a border conference that former governor of Arkansas, Asa Hutchinson, put together. And it really was as informative as I'd found because it was about a, it was solution driven. It wasn't just the usual speeches of talking about what's wrong. These were people that were focused a little bit on solutions. And then I well, one of the things that was I thought brilliant about the whole thing was Congressman Siskamani has helped me in clarifying how we talk. He uses the phrase buckets. I say three legs of a stool. He says three buckets of, of the border and says these are all independent issues and we deal with them and all of a sudden convolute them and we try to work on everything all at once, which he doesn't necessarily think is the right thing to do. So I want you to hear, first of all, he talked about one of the buckets being immigration itself. That's the immigration bucket of coming to the country earning a green card, citizenship, even the work permit, uh, in whatever way it is to be here in the country in a lawful manner and uh, and be able to, to operate in the country. Isn't it interesting? And I, 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 I couldn't believe this was true, but I know that it is that well, he was born in Mexico and he became a citizen as an adult here in the U.S. I believe he said in 2006, but he's the first Mexican born American elected to Congress from Arizona. That surprised me. I, I, I don't know why it did, but it surprised me. So he has a different kind of insight raised on the border, came from another country, is an immigrant, and yet is a huge border hawk and how we need to fix the problems at our border. So the first one of the three he talked about was immigration. The second one, trade and commerce. Mexico is our number one trading partner times four. We trade over $17 billion of exports and imports with Mexico. That's two-way trade and over 200 jobs in Arizona are um, depend on this on this bilateral trade. Highly important. That's not even touching tourism. And if you live in Arizona, which most of your listeners I'm sure do, and especially in southern Arizona, we see the Mexican license plates during the holiday seasons that you know of the shoppers coming up here and buy. In some border communities, Mike, you have over seventy or eighty percent of the sales tax coming from Mexican shoppers. And I wanted to have the congressman speak uh, for the most part, and I was just asking questions to let him continue to to speak. But one of the things I would add into that from a personal perspective, and I think he would agree, is that it goes deeper on the trade and commerce part of this because of the deep economic connection that individuals in Arizona here in the Valley have. Um, Many of you go to Rocky Point on a regular basis. It is kind of your home away from home. Some of you own property there. You own homes or condos. There are even business owners that own bars and restaurants and other businesses in Rocky Point. 
So the trade and commerce part of this connected to uh, security is a big issue because, number one, if it's not secure or people perceive it as to be insecure, you're going to lose business if you have a business down there. Your property value probably isn't going to be as high. So these are issues that he talked about. And finally, the third one, and I don't he may say this here, um, not in any particular order, the third of the three is security. We have to add enforcement on the uh, to support Border Patrol and resources, technology, the right uh, laws and regulations that, that would keep people, uh, keep our, our law enforcement empowered to be able to take care of the really bad actors. So those are the three buckets in my mind. Immigration, I have a personal journey with, trade and commerce, that's what I've done in my career, and then border security, which is the, um, the top priority right now when we talk about the border. So what I did was I posed the question to him because I think you can you you can be trying to focus on one issue, but you can affect the others as well. So this next thing I'm going to talk about, and this is what I said to him, was about trade and commerce, but it also, in my opinion, helps with security. And that has to do with a guest worker program. Um, and so I'm going to lay this out for you a little bit more than I did with him, but I will explain that one of the things that this administration wanted to do as a solution to the problem of people coming to America is to spend billion of billions of American dollars in some of these Central American countries to try to stabilize their economies so the people that lived in those countries didn't feel the need to come to America for work. So we would be basically bribing government officials and propping up economies by spending billions of dollars. If we had a robust guest worker program, one that was bigger than the one we have now, if we allowed people to cross through Mexico, whether they were Mexican nationals or they were coming from other countries, but they were allowed to come into our country and work and and, and ply a skill set um, – uh, in the construction world where I came from, this would be a huge help to the over 200,000 jobs they need to have filled. Um, for employers in every sector that are hurting, uh, we would be able to employ a lot of people. And here's how it crosses over to one of those other buckets, which is immigration. By the way, the way the reason why it helps trade and commerce is then people come here and they work. Instead of being given billions to their country, they work in America and they are able to send money home. So that they can individually help their families at home and prop up their own economy in the countries where they're from. The security part of this is we know that the vast majority of people that come to America and apply for asylum, the majority, the big majority, are false claims for asylum that they know are false. They are counting on the fact that it's going to take years for them to get through the system. They will have already been working in America, and they probably won't be asked to leave is what they're hoping. Most of their claims are denied. Well, if we if they had a legal means to come here through a visa process, and they were told if you you come here and file a false claim for asylum, you go to the back of the line for one of these visas, then it would slow down the crossers at the border that are taking up the time and energy from CBP in processing and allow them to focus more on the drugs and other crime that's happening. That's how I think helping one with trade and commerce affects security. So I asked him, what do you think of the idea of this guest worker program? When we talk about workforce, they need workers, small and large businesses. And a good way to address that need is through a robust and speedy and safe guest worker program that would meet the needs and the demand that we have here in the country. And it would also, quite frankly, meet some of the needs that, that these people that want to come here and work and then go back home. 
there are a lot of people that take a job that would come here to work and then go back home. I know it's not going into a different country, but when I was mo- when I was here doing work as an electrician, I went back to the first company I ever worked for um, after being gone for a little while, and I and they said, "Listen, we've got a job for you, but it's in San Jose." So I had to go to San Jose to work for that company, and I was happy to go and do that. Although I was never going to move to California, the same mindset. That's what he said. Some people will just want to come here and work. We, we sometimes make the false assumption that everybody that comes here to work want to come here and stay like my family did, pursue the American dream and stay here forever. Not, not every family is like that. A lot of families want to come here, work, and be able to keep their families and their permanent home in, in Mexico in this case or in their home country. And that helps all of us. We meet our need, and they, of course, are able to prosper in their own home countries, which uh, desensitizes the need to uh, move away many times into our country and many times illegally. It was an interesting conversation. We got into um, the issues, more stuff on the border. We did talk about the idea of the debt ceiling negotiation and how that's going to go and how difficult it's going to be. So I hope you go to the podcast at KTAR.com later on today or on your smartphone and listen to the full interview. It was a very compelling two-segment interview. And I hope you'll listen to it. In a moment, we catch you up on the biggest news stories of the day with a segment we call Did You Hear This? We'll get to it in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, let's catch you up on the big headlines. Been a busy day. Did you hear this? Did you hear this? Broomhead's reaction to the hottest news stories. Arizona Congressman Juan Siscomani joined you this morning and gave you some concerning statistics regarding the southern border. 150,000 encounters last month, and that is the 25th month in a row, Mike, that we see that number. 150,000 encounters. Over 2,800 pounds of fentanyl seized last uh, month as well. And that's just what we know about. Will these issues ever get fixed? I don't know. Uh, this is It's always tough. No administration's been able to do it, but we do understand that it's worse than it's ever been, and that's where the problem lies. We have had much better results with previous administrations, and sometimes making those laws and standing by them are very difficult. One of the things that the congressman said that I thought was very compelling is when they have had members of Congress go down and speak to CBP or Customs and Border Patrol or Border Protection, um, they are being told by officers and boots on the ground what they really need is the ability to enforce existing laws. That's a policy issue. And I think that needs to be addressed faster than anything else. The Supreme Court justices heard arguments yesterday in a case of a formal postal worker who was disciplined for skipping his Sunday shifts to observe the Sabbath. By law, employers cannot discriminate based on religion unless that religious accommodation causes the employer undue hardship. But even the conservative justices had questions about how that undue hardship can be quantified. How will the Supreme Court rule in this case? I don't know that because it always has bigger implication than a specific case. So the implications here could be far-reaching. And a a business has a right to run its business the way they want. If there's an accommodation that can be made for this person and they understand an accommodation is being made where he works different shifts or works around this and there are other people willing to take his place, that would seem to me to be a great way to 
handle it from the employer's perspective to keep your employees happy. But as far as the Supreme Court mandating that uh, that places do this, that's a far reaching thing. And I don't know that they're going to go that far because you never know. Now you're going to have people with different reasoning say, I can't work on Christmas. You may be the new guy. When you're in law enforcement per, uh, or for, let's say if you're a first responder, when you get promoted, when you're the new. So you've been on the department for a while and you're a senior deputy, let's say. When you promote to sergeant, you're the junior sergeant. You work the night shifts. You work the holidays. Now, they make accommodations for single people versus people with families. But if you were to force employers to do that, who knows what that could do? And I think they're going to have problems doing it. You're listening to Did You Hear This? We do it every day at this time to catch you up on the headlines. India is on track to become the world's most populous country. India could have 1,486,000,000 people by the middle of the year, surpassing China by nearly 3 million people. India wasn't expected to overtake China until later this decade, but demographers say the timing has been sped up by a decrease in infant mortality in India and a drop in China's fertility rate. How could this change in population size shake up the global economic powers? Well, just because I think that India is also uh, siding with China in many ways, this is a huge part of the world's population just in two countries. But does do the people of India have the same kind of um, desire for uh, economic power as the Chinese do or the Americans do? you got to remember, part of this also has to do with the desires of the people of that country. Not good or bad, just are they as driven for economic success or are driven for economic dominance? And I don't know the answer to that question. Population-wise, this is a big deal because now you are the number one populated country on the entire planet. That's going to carry a lot of weight in worldwide politics. Governor Katie Hobbs has set a single-year record for vetoing 63 bills. I did not come here to veto bills. I came here to solve real issues for Arizonans. What's the best way for the legislature and our governors to work together? Well, first of all, here's how this works. And so most of you know this. There are going to be times when the Republicans are playing politics, meaning this. They talk with the governor's office, and this happened when Ducey was governor, and before that when Brewer was governor, and before that when Napolitano was governor. There are discussions going on leadership when leadership is proposing legislation or anybody is between the governor's office and the proposers of those pieces of legislation. The reason why is you don't want to waste the time and the legwork and everything else it takes to get a piece of legislation out of committee to a floor vote passed by both chambers and onto the governor's desk when the governor has already told you that's going to be dead on arrival. So you're supposed to work behind the scenes working on that piece of legislation and working on the verbiage so that the governor's office agrees that if she's not going to sign it, she'll at least let it go and go without her signature. So there's politics here possibly on both sides, where if the Republicans are told ahead of time, I'm never going to sign that bill and they run it anyway, it runs up the numbers to make sure make it look like the governor isn't cooperating. The other side of that coin is, is the governor doing herself any favors in the areas where she knows she has to negotiate, like the budget, by veto every piece of legislation that's impo- uh, that is important to the opposition. It's politics on both sides, I think. Great job, Julia. That's Did You Hear This for another day. We'll do it again tomorrow. Uh, what we're going to do momentarily is go back to the economy, but I want to focus a little bit on where gas prices are. We've seen a huge spike in gas prices here in Arizona. We're top three in the country for gas prices, but it's a national 
uh, trend right now. We'll talk about what this is doing to an already stressed economy next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, this is pretty remarkable. Uh, gas prices at a five-month high nationally, but here in the Phoenix area, the city of Phoenix, the average gas price is four ninety-nine a gallon. Um, it is uh, just over five dollars per gallon in the West Valley and in the East Valley. We are seeing another extreme in gas prices. People are going to be feeling this crunch. Um, this is the rock and the hard place. I want to go to the businesses before the individuals. A business understands a couple of things. And one of the biggest expenses, if a business makes a product and sells it to the public, there are a couple of things they spend a lot of money on. One is packaging. Because it's got to be attractive to a person that would buy it. I know that sounds frivolous, but that's a big part of it is how is it packaged. The other part of it is what's the price point? Because they understand that it is a, it's a science that if you charge too much, you're going to exclude a big part of the public that might buy your product. And if you charge too little, you're leaving a lot of money on the table that people would be willing to pay. So they spend a lot of money in research in those two areas. But right now what you're seeing with small businesses and I mean this if you're a if you're a contractor like I was when you have an expense that fluctuates as dramatically as we've seen fuel prices it hurts because there's no way to account for it you understand that a contractor I'm going to go with an electrician like I am or was you know you factor in what am I paying the employee that's in that work truck what are the added what's the added expense because i i eat part of the insurance money there's maybe a benefit package what is the real cost for every hour that that employee is on the road then based on that i have to factor in what is that vehicle that they're in cost for me to maintain i got to do oil changes i've got to change tires all that stuff is factored in over an annual basis what are fuel costs what are the average fuel costs for someone that's on the road driving around fixing things for people based on all that information i'm going to figure out this is how much per hour i'm going to charge material costs are a little bit easier because most of the time it's cost plus 10% or cost plus 20%. So if I spend 100 bucks in material, I charge you $110. Pretty simple. But the other one is such a fluctuation in cost. How does a small business then say, well, in order for me to make any money, I'm going to have to charge X for this. And you now know that there is a large part of the public that would have used your service in the past that just can't afford it. And so this is where you're putting businesses in a very precarious position. If you are a rideshare driver, and there are many rideshare drivers that listen to this radio station while they're driving, um, how does it affect you? You are getting a stipend or you're getting some money added back to you because of fuel costs sometimes, depending on the rideshare company you work for. But as this fluctuation happens, what does it do to your bottom line? If you are delivering food, if you're one of those delivery service drivers and you're doing that as a side hustle, or as your main source of income right now. So small businesses are getting hammered by this. And the same thing begins to – and what this does is it squeezes their ability to pay the employees what they need to pay them to keep them employed. Um, when when the, uh, the Trump tax cuts back when uh, Trump was president were being um, touted around the country – 
it was Vice President Pence that came to Arizona to promote those tax cuts. And uh, I traveled with him and Governor Ducey one day with the media, with members of the media, and there was a meeting with small business owners at a restaurant. And the vice president went from table to table and sat with these business owners from across the gamut of businesses. And they each had a different story about how a tax cut would impact them and what they would do with that money. And there was a a couple that owned an uh, auto repair shop. They said, we would expand our shop. We would open up another bay. We would invest in the equipment because of the deduction for buying the equipment so that we could test vehicles. You know, they're all electric now. or I should say they're all computers now. So in order to diagnose the diagnostic tools and everything else, we would invest in that. Uh, Somebody else said, we used to pay a pretty good chunk of our employees' insurance benefits, but we've had to scale that back. We can't afford it. If we got this tax cut, we would start paying for our employees' benefits again. Another one was a dentist who had an interesting perspective. The dentist said, you know, I rely largely on insurance companies and what they'll pay and what they'll reimburse. So I have very little room for error. I don't control much. They control with what they reimburse me. The only area that I can control is what I pay my people. And if I got a tax cut, I would give them raises because they deserve a raise. I wouldn't expand my business, but I would pay my people what they're worth. And so this squeeze that happens eliminates the possibility of your boss taking better care of you. The idea out there in the public that there are some that believe business owners are all Ebenezer Scrooge. That all they look at is every penny. You know, if you, you know, they don't want to buy office supplies because, and all this stuff, it's just not the truth. At least not the people I've worked for. And I've worked for a lot of small business owners. The other part of this now is what does it do to the individuals? You've got some families or, you know, if it's two parents in the home, you've got a two-car family. One works further away than the other one. Do you start carpooling? What do you do to save gas? How do you make this work? Do you start taking public transportation? And these are real decisions for families. You know, I've talked so much about intentional giving with food banks, St. Mary's and otherwise. We're going to be talking about something more about them in the future. But when these things happen, and I keep getting the statistics because I'm concerned, I want to see how we're doing. The Arizona economy is doing very well. We should be proud of the direction we're heading. But year over year, the need is up over 50% when it comes to assistance, food assistance, for families that, A, yes, they are working. The availability of jobs is still strong for them. They are working their full-time jobs and maybe a part-time job as well. But when it gets closer to payday, they are not able to pay their rent, pay their fuel bill to get to work, and put food on the table for their families and cover all three expenses. So many of those hardworking families, and I will say this as sad as it is, it maybe it's you, but there are people that you work with. If you work in a you know a place with a bunch of people, you work with people that are hungry. You work with people that feed their children before they feed themselves, and they go skip a meal, skip a couple of meals because they don't have the food in the house to feed everybody. That's where these organizations, that's where you and I can come in and helping people. But we've got to figure out a way to get a handle on these prices. You know, and again, 
I've ha- everybody's had their differences with every administration. I understand that whenever you say something good or nice about Donald Trump, people get furious because they hate him. But I got to tell you, just being a realist, drop the acrimony for a moment. We had four years of fuel being under $3 per gallon. We had immense wage growth and immense job growth. Unemployment numbers at a 50-year low. We had people making more and more money. If you remember the banks, it was Wells Fargo and Bank of America that came out publicly and said, we are raising our minimum wage for anybody that works for us to X. And I think it was maybe 12 or $14 an hour so that anybody at the entry-level positions in their company knew you were going to be paid a minimum wage. They did this to get and retain good employees. And there wasn't this inflation that we're seeing now, whether it's all in the hands of this president or it's not all. And there are things that have been done, especially with what we're talking about here in fuel prices. There are policy changes that came from this administration that they believe are necessary because of climate change that are driving the cost of energy through the roof, whether it's natural gas. Now they're going after your natural gas ovens and they're killing people Been cooking with natural gas for how many decades and now all of a sudden this administration has figured out that it's dangerous and there are cities that are saying, yep, we're going to get rid of them. They want to change the fuel efficiency standards of vehicles. They're going to make vehicles much more expensive to build. All of these things are happening and they say it's necessary, but you are paying for it. Is it a fair trade-off? That's it. Plain and simple. That's the question. Is it a fair trade-off? And the American people are going to decide in 2024 whether or not it is. Coming up in a moment, we're going to go back to a story that was my favorite story of the day, but doesn't mean much when it comes to the big serious issues, but it shows you just how much time people have on their hands. It's all coming up. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. And now for some people that have way too much time on their hands. By the way, happy Wednesday. Um, This story, just uh, because I've already, I am predisposed. I cannot stand HOAs. I hate them. Um, And many of you, some of you may live in an HOA and you love it. Good for you. You may be on an HOA board and say, we're different. We're not that. Yes, you are. Yeah, yes, you are. If you live in an area, if you're someone that's okay and you like the idea of being told what color you can paint in your home or can't paint in your home um, and things of that nature, I'm fine with it. You have a right to do that. I hate it. Um, I've lived in a lot of neighborhoods. I've lived in some pretty poor neighborhoods, too. I mean, I've lived in some ratty neighborhoods growing up. Uh, Never, never saw a uh, uh purple house. I don't, maybe I have once. I think maybe I have once. I want to be fair. Um, um, and you know, I never wanted to be that neighbor, uh, with cars up on blocks, but how rare is that? And, uh, if you live, I live in a nice neighborhood right now. I moved a few months ago to a very nice area. Neighbors met one of my neighbors. She was very nice, brought her children over. Husband's a contractor, just very nice people. Nice neighborhood. People keep their yards up nice. Um, you know what I mean? It's just a There's no HOA. I don't live in an HOA. I hate them. This HOA in Scottsdale have decided that life is so good in their neighborhood and they're so bored with trying to get involved in the lives of the people that live in their neighborhood that the problem now is they're not cleaning up after their dogs. 
So here's the new rule. They actually got together as a board and voted on a change because, you know, you sign a covenant. You sign all these covenants that you're going to allow them to do whatever they want. If the board passes an idea, even though you may not like it and it didn't come into play until after you bought your property, you're stuck. And here's one of them. They decided the answer to the dog poop problem in the neighborhood is they were going to pass a rule mandating that everyone in the neighborhood that owns a dog has to DNA test their dog. If you don't, it's a $250 fine, and um, I would just pay the fine, and I would tell them to stay away from me. So what they're going to do, This again, this is the extent that these people go to so that you live in a nice neighborhood. They are going to go around. After this DNA testing is done, and they are going to go around, somebody from the board will be going around and collecting the evidence when your dog leaves it on somebody else's yard and you don't clean it up. And they are going to have it DNA tested. They're going to be CSI. This is going to be – they'll be playing the law and order music on the little radio inside their golf cart as they are DNA testing this dog dirt. And they're going to take it and then go after the people that didn't clean up after their dogs. If that is an example of having way too much time on your hands and being way too power hungry, I don't know what is. How badly do you want to be a nuisance in people's life? How badly do you want to feel in charge? Honestly, you know, the city of Phoenix has an organization. It's called Neighborhood Services. And when I moved into my house, my first house a while ago, five years ago or so, um, I was for a very short time that neighbor. It had desert landscape at the time, which I hated, but very tall weeds. I could not find someone to come and take care of this yard. Nobody would even show up and look at it. And it was it went on for over a week, well over probably closer to two weeks. And I'm talking about weeds that were getting three, four feet tall. It was disgusting. I hated being that neighbor, but I was frantically trying to find someone to do this. Didn't live in an HOA. And I did. I found someone, cost me quite a bit of money, but it was worth it, that cleaned up the entire yard. And the City of Phoenix Neighborhood Services sent me a letter. Now, whether they were driving through the neighborhood or someone calls, I can tell you I was that neighbor for a short time. But um, I put in a green lawn. It was the nicest lawn in the neighborhood for a while. My neighbor next door and I became very close friends. And, you know, that's what neighbors are supposed to do. I'm not going to live in an HOA where someone's going to bring paint sweat watches over to make sure my door is the right shade of beige. And now you've got these people that are so self-important and power hungry that they are willing. They are willing to drive around and scoop up dog poop to have it tested to go after a neighbor that didn't clean up after their dog. If you want to live in a neighborhood like that, now you may laugh and say, well, well, that's rare. That's just going too far. And some people no, that's that's kind of the way these things work. What else can we do to make our neighborhood into what we want it to be? And we as a board are going to decide. And once we decide they have to live by it. And if they push back against us, ugh, here it is. I, just, I, I can't stand them. I hate HOAs. Don't send me emails defending them because you're not going to win with me. I'm just going to delete the email. It's absolutely absurd to live in an HOA. I hate them. Hate them. Just about out of time. Social media users at Broomhead KTAR on Twitter is my personal Twitter account. At Broomhead Show updates you on our guests and other things on the show. Please follow both. On Instagram, I'm Mike Broomhead, all one word. We'd love to keep in touch between shows. We 
will be back tomorrow morning starting just after 8 a.m. for another edition. Hope you can join us. Thanks for being with me for part of your day today. Have a great day. God bless. 